0: This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for 2 weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu/dinodig.
1: Two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.
0: Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today in our 428th episode... We have a bunch of news. I'm going to be talking about a new Iguanodontian.
3: And I've got a couple of new dinosaurs. So lots of new dinosaur
0: news. What kind of dinosaurs do you have?
3: A sauropod and a theropod.
0: Ooh, so we got theropod, sauropod, and ornithopod covered. Pretty good. We're just missing the other ornithischians that some people like a lot, like ankylosaurs.
3: But that's okay, because we've got the sauropod. I guess so.
0: We also have dinosaur of the day, Camarillosaurus as well as a dinosaur connection challenge on farming.
3: Garrett and I had the same thought about this one when we first read the challenge.
0: We had a jinx moment where we were like, oh, it's like, and then said the exact same thing. Yep. (laughs) Which may be your thinking right now, too. You have to wait to see. And of course, I've got a fun fact, which is about a sauropod, actually. Nice.
3: This is shaping up to be a great episode.
0: It is. It is. But before we get into all that, we want to thank some of our patrons for helping to keep the podcast running. And we have 10 new patrons to thank this week.
3: I don't think that's ever happened before.
0: It has not that every patron shout out is a new patron.
3: Happy 8th anniversary to us.
0: I think so. So uh, first up, we've got Ian, who just joined. We also have Planner Sorolophus, like Parasorolophus, but with planning. Nice. I really like it. We've got It's Devin, baby. Excellent. A.D. which is inspired by Ankylosaurus, as they said, Ankylosaurus FTW for the win, which I very much appreciate. (laughs) We also have Heath and Micah Marcos Music, Dino Dork, which I was a little bit worried about because I was like, not everyone likes being called a dork. Dino Dork doesn't mind.
3: Yeah. Dino Dorks, Dino Nerds.
0: Dino Geeks. Yeah. I guess they're all the same.
3: It's all great. That's what we are.
0: And then we also have three patrons who just upgraded to the level where they're now getting shout outs. And they are Krista, Thieving Raptor Lorenzo, and Xenorama.
3: Amazing. Thank you so much, everybody, for supporting our show and continuing to support our show. It makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And it's a great, you're really making my January.
0: <laughs> it is, yeah. We also have one more piece of news about our podcast, and that's that we're creating a new recording space.
3: Yeah, shed in our backyard. Yeah. Doesn't sound like much, but it will let us get out of our baby's room so our baby actually has a place to sleep.
0: Yeah, because we've been sleeping in the same room as our baby for quite a while now.
3: Yeah, and I don't think any of us are getting good sleep. (laughs) So this is a win-win because then we'll also have a quieter place to record. So hopefully, yeah, should be some better sound quality.
0: We're still in the very early phases of getting this shed built because we got the permit, which is nice. Yeah,
3: that feels like half the battle, even though I know we're only at the beginning.
0: And I, we cut down most of the trees. There are little small trees around the yard that needed to get cut down.
3: Yeah, our yard's not very big.
0: But yeah, we got the small ones out. And then unfortunately, there are a couple of fruit trees yeah. that we have to take out because they're like right where the building needs to go.
3: I'm sad about we think it's our plum tree. We only figured it out one year because... There was like one little plum that we managed to see before the birds ate it.
0: Yeah. I just thought it was a really popular tree with the birds. Yeah. I didn't realize why.
3: <laughs> yeah. But it was really pretty in the wintertime. It it blossomed. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And I'm I'm sad that we had to cut it down right before it blossomed this year.
0: Yeah. It's a bummer. But we do need to make the space because... We only have two rooms in our house and one of them needs to be for the baby. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, the next thing is digging up the roots of these really big trees and then yanking it down with a big old winch. And then, yeah.
3: We'll probably share some photos and progress with our patrons.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds like a good idea. I got to figure out how to do a foundation and all sorts of stuff. It's going to be quite the learning process. Yeah. So I'm planning on doing most of it myself.
3: Well, with my help.
0: Oh, that's true. But I mean, I'm not planning on hiring people to do much <laughs> Yeah, myself and friends <laughs> that I could convince to help me like, lift up walls and stuff. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Quite the undertaking that's going to take us a little bit of time.
0: Yep. And of course, thank you to our patrons because we'll probably be spending that much money and more on building that shed.
3: Jumping into the news. As I mentioned, I've got a new sauropod and a new theropod to talk about, and it's kind of, I don't think I want to quite say controversial. I say that because it's a pretty lengthy paper that describes both of these dinosaurs, but it also discusses tectonics in a number of dinosaurs found in Pakistan and India, and also kind of gives a lengthy update on the sauropod Janosaurus, So there's a lot going on. And there, when this was posted on the dinosaur mailing list, somebody wrote back that there is no proof of ZooBank registration in the paper. This is an online-only publication which would technically make these new-name dinosaurs or New Taxa nuda That's why I say it's not... I wouldn't say it's controversial, but it's something.
0: When you say it includes tectonics too, is that like the Tectonic plates?
3: It talks about transform faults.
0: That sounds like plate tectonics.
3: And plate boundary, yeah. I'm going to be honest, I paid a lot more attention to the dinosaur portion <laughs> of this paper than I did the non-dinosaur parts. Makes sense. So this was published in Open Journal of Geology by Muhammad Sadiq Malkani. As you can imagine, because it's covering a lot of topics, again, I'm only talking about the dinosaur portions of the paper, It references a lot of fossils from previous work, and they said they also looked through new field work and from satellite images, and the field work was done between 2000 to 2022, last year. I'll start with the new sauropod dinosaur, not just because it's a sauropod, it was actually named first in the paper, so we're we're going in order here.
0: Okay, sure.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And that sauropod's name is Kanazim Sarai hopefully I pronounced that in an okay way. It was a bit hard to figure out pronunciation. The holotype includes a jabo, the dentary, and vertebrae, parts of the femur and humerus, and parts of the tibia. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of different parts here.
0: The vertebrae are pretty good when you're trying to name a sauropod. Mm -hmm. It's interesting they found a dentary too. You don't always find anything from the head in sauropods.
3: Yeah, that's true. And they said this is from the latest Maastrichtian.
0: Okay, so right at the end.
3: Mm -hmm. There's also some referred specimens that include more vertebrae, a chevron, and part of the ulna, the arm bone. So it's nice that there's multiple specimens. Yeah. There is a uh, fairly lengthy explanation for the genus name that I'm just going to quote because I don't want to miss say anything. And it says that the genus name, quote, honors the Ked Azim Imran Khan, Nyadzi former prime minister of Pakistan and great journalist and our great leader, Ked Azim Imran Riaz Khan, Dr. Kakar Malik Khan and other leaders who supported poor peoples of Pakistan, and Professor Dr. Shireen Safiyan Khan and Hisan Khan taking interest for the Balochosaurus and other Pakistani dinosaurs, Azim the Sarai Kai language, meaning big or titan, end quote. So the genus name means Khan Titan.
0: Alright, so Khan is, is like a king, basically, right? Yeah. So it's like the big king. Sort of like T-Rex, in a way.
3: It's fitting for a sauropod. Sauropods are big. <laughs> <laughs> Although they said this one's a medium-sized sauropod, but still sauropods are big. And the species name, Sarai castani, "Quote honors the Sarai Ko Solaiman area, which hosts these fossils and most of the Cretaceous fossils from Pakistan." End quote. So it's a a lot of thought, I think, put into this name. I mean, there's a lot of parts that were found, and they do go into some detailed descriptions. Some of the main highlights are that it had these slender, circular, and subcircular, widely spaced teeth. <laughs>
0: Subcircular, widely spaced teeth. Yeah. Okay. So I guess, yeah, that just means not round completely. And spaced out. Sort of more like a Camarasaurus situation than something like Nigerosaurus where they're all packed in real close.
3: Mm. That's a good way to think of it.
0: Maybe that would be the kind of thing that you often describe as chisel shaped teeth. I wonder if that's a subcircular tooth. Seems like it could be.
3: Uh Maybe. Depends how pointy they are, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's true.
3: It also had slender femora, or hind limbs. So a kind of slender, medium-sized sauropod we've got going here. And the fossils are in the Museum of Geological Survey of Pakistan.
0: But it has quite a grandiose name for a medium-sized dinosaur. It does. Con Titan.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I like (laughs) the name. Then there's the theropod, which is named in insafai. Again, hopefully I did okay with the pronunciation. The holotype includes part of the jaw, including five teeth or alveoli and a vertebra.
0: So that there's teeth and tooth sockets because alveoli are the, the socket part.
3: Yes. And these fossils are also at the Geological Survey of Pakistan. The genus name of Shansarakai can quote be understood as shan, Sarakai language means respect and honor. Sarakai means Sarakai peoples and areas which host the fossils, end quote. And the species name honors, quote, the Pakistani leaders, journalists, lawyers, farmers, laborers, and peoples of Pakistan, which support INSAF, justice, rule of law, and deletion of corruption in Pakistan, end quote.
0: So it's the the species name is justice.
3: Yes. <laughs> And respect and honor in the genus name. So a lot of thought put into this name.
0: Yeah, that's a very lofty name.
3: Yeah. There's not too much found. Again, it's kind of teeth and a vertebra. The vertebra has some details that make it unique. And the teeth are somewhat spaced out. So interesting. Both of these dinosaurs have somewhat spaced out teeth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that must just mean that they're not in a basically a, like a dental battery kind of thing. There's a gap between them, which is very common for sauropods
3: And theropods. Yeah. Now, the last part of this paper, which is about dinosaurs, is an updated assessment of the titanosaur, the sauropod, Janosaurus. And in the paper said that there were some fragments of fossils that were collected around 1917 to 1919 that appear to have been, quote, arbitrarily assigned to this taxon, end quote. So they compared all of the fossils that had been attributed to Janosaurus over the years. And there were other fossils, including a brain case. It's pretty cool brain case for a sauropod. Mm-hmm. And they compared all these fossils with other similar dinosaurs, including Gespsaurus pakistani. Again, hopefully I did okay with the pronunciation. It's G-S-P-saurus. Now that one, as a side note, appears to be a nomum nudum because it's only been informally described. Now they found some of the fossils to be referable to Gespsaurus, including a vertebra and a right humerus. They also found another humerus that was thought to be Janosaurus actually to belong to Balochosaurus, and a brain case and right scapula that was thought to be Janosaurus to actually belong to Isisaurus. So a lot of fossils that we used to think or specimens that we used to think were Janosaurus now go to three other dinosaurs three other sauropods
0: those were all already named before
3: yes except for the Gispsaurus, which appears to be a nomum nudum
0: oh i see okay yeah and that spelling i'm looking at it is crazy because it's gsps
3: well gspsaurus yeah
0: gsp yeah i have no idea how you're supposed to pronounce that that's very difficult i'm guessing it's like a transliteration of something That makes a lot more sense in the native language than Mm. it does when it's written out in English, because that's very difficult. I haven't heard of any of these dinosaurs before either. So maybe it's because I'm not a sauropod guy, or maybe I just don't know that much about these Asian sauropods.
3: I didn't know either. But again, the Jaspasaurus one is a dubious genus, which could be why we haven't really heard about it.
0: Yeah. So maybe a lot of these names will be not used.
3: Well... Aesosaurus was named in 2003.
0: Okay, so that one will stick around.
3: And that one lived in the late Cretaceous and what's now India. If you go to the Wikipedia, it says not to be confused with Isaurus.
0: Yeah, there's also like Aesinosaurus. There's a lot of them that start things like that.
3: I think Isaurus is some kind of reef.
0: You mean like coral?
3: It looks kind of like coral. I don't know enough about coral to, to know here. It's definitely an aquatic creature.
0: Yes. I just checked it out too. It's a nidarian, which are, as you describe them, aquatic animals that can be both freshwater and marine. They are very interesting looking. I think they might include stuff like, what's the anemone? That's what it looks like. Yeah.
3: (laughs) It looks kind of like an anemone. Something that isn't terribly mobile. Yeah. And lives in the water.
0: Oh, actually, I think it might include jellyfish. I don't know. It's an invertebrate. We don't know things about invertebrates.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And then balachasaurus that one was named in 2009 by the same author of the paper I'm talking about today, Malkani. But in some places, if you're looking it up, it it calls it a naked taxon.
0: Again, a nomonutum. Yes. I'm stumbling all over my words today. (laughs)
3: yeah so that could be why we hadn't heard of a couple of these and also i was going to say if it was named before we started this podcast but we've covered a lot of dinosaurs that were named well before this podcast started so true that's not really an excuse (laughs) (laughs) anyway there was a lot of stuff that was covered in this one paper but for the dinosaur enthusiasts yeah two new named dinosaurs and an update on Janosaurs.
0: And now we're going to pause for a quick sponsor break. But when we get back, I'm going to tell you all about a new iguanodontian.
3: Ooh.
0: Which no one is calling a noman nudum, at least that I've seen.
3: Try <laughs> <You're> saying that <laughs> ten times fast. Sounds like a
0: tongue twister. noman nubo nudum. No There's one. <laughs> no, is that right? Nomen nudum.
3: No yeah.
0: Oh, you're so much better. Okay. <laughs> anyway, sponsor break time. <laughs> You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th.
3: Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you.
0: <laughs> I feel like you do that a lot when I talk about my news.
3: <laughs> well, it's a new dinosaur.
0: It's true. It is exciting. So this one was published in Acta geoscientica sinica, which is all in Chinese. So again, I did my best to translate it. And it was written by Ji Shuan and Zhang Pei. And this dinosaur is from what I'm going to call the deep south of China. All right. It's way down there. Usually we're talking about stuff from the north either over by Mongolia or in the northeast, Mm -hmm. but occasionally there's stuff far south. This one's in the Xinlong Formation in Fusui County in Guangxi Zhuang Autonomous Region. And the Xinlong Formation already has a well-described dinosaur fauna. They have sauropods, theropods, ornithopods, and maybe even cetacosaurids. Nice.
3: And just shows that there are dinosaurs all over China.
0: Yeah, although there are areas without any dinosaurs too, mm. but this area isn't really the best quality of dinosaur fossils. A lot of them are pretty fragmentary and not all of them are very well known. Mm-hmm. Some of them are just like like that maybe Psittacosaurid. They don't even really know for sure if it's a let alone the genus. Mm-hmm. But the formation is from the early Cretaceous and specifically the Aptian Albion A lot of people talk about Aptian Albion. That basically means 121 to 100 million years ago, right before the midpoint of the Cretaceous. And these authors consider it Aptian, so that would make it 121 to 113 million years old. The new dinosaur is named Napaisaurus guangxiensis, and Napaisaurus is because it's found in the Napai Basin. Confusingly, the Xinlong Formation and the Napai Formation are the same thing.
3: They are just named at different times, maybe?
0: I think it might have to do with different dialects or something. Mm. It's literally the exact same place. So these authors are basically advocating for calling it the Xinlong Formation, but then they called it the Saurus.
3: Maybe that's a nod to both names that way.
0: (laughs) I guess. I don't know. It's very confusing. And then Guangxiensis is after the Guangxi-Zhuang Autonomous Region. So it's one of those place names, Horus, place-name-ensis, mm-hmm. Chinese dinosaurs.
3: But a little more complicated than usual.
0: Yeah. They could have gotten really confusing and named part of it after Nepai and part after Xinlong if they really wanted to be weird about it. But they call it, quote, the first named basal iguanodontian taxon from southern China, end quote. All right. Which is pretty cool. Basal iguanodontians are always interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have those thumb spikes and stuff like that. Iguanodontia is a group that we usually avoid saying, I feel like, because (laughs) it's got a really confusing history. The name goes back way back because Iguanodon is one of the first dinosaurs. That's what happens when it's one of the original three named dinosaurs. Yeah. And there are so many hadrosaurs that what I think ended up happening was basically they said Iguanodons are, or Iguanodontids, I think at the time, are like these three or four, you know, dinosaurs and everything in between them. But then it turned out that the ones that they picked weren't really good ones to pick because stuff in the middle shouldn't have been part of Iguanodontia, so it was like a paraphyletic group. It got all messy. So usually we end up just calling them ornithopods Mm -hmm. because that group is a lot less controversial. Although I always feel like Iguanodon is a sort of better group name because I feel like everybody knows what Iguanodon looks like.
3: Right, whereas ornithopods, it just seems like a really Big, diverse group.
0: Yeah. And like, I don't have a prototypical ornithopod in my head when I hear ornithopods. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it seems like a broad group. And if you're not really into dinosaurs, it's like, what what is an ornithopod? It's just sort of a weird, it means bird foot. It's just like, that could be any dinosaur. <laughs> it's very vague. Whereas Iguanodon, it's like, yeah, we know Iguanodon. It's got the thumb spikes and the big head and everything.
3: You're also into dinosaurs. So can't speak for someone who might not know about dinosaurs. Yeah.
0: But I, th- I feel like most people know Iguanodon. It was the main character in that one dinosaur Disney movie that came out in like 2007 or whatever.
3: In 2000? Dinosaur?
0: Was it in 2000? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so fortunately, though, I think we missed this when it happened. There's a new definition from Philo Code in 2021. It happened right at the end of the year again, which is often when we miss stories because we're busy with a bunch of other stuff. Well,
3: I wouldn't say miss, just, you know, we catch up a little later.
0: Yeah, like over a year later in this case. Oh, well. (laughs) Because it's 2021 I'm talking about. So Iguanodontia is, as they define it, the smallest clade containing Dryosaurus, Iguanodon, Rhabdodon, and Tenontosaurus, but does not include Hypsilophodon. So that's sort of the new definition of Mm Iguanodontia. And the tia part is important because Iguanodontid is a different, or Iguanodontidae, or Iguanodontidae, depending on how you want to pronounce it, is a different thing, and that's much more derived. That's basically just Iguanodon and very close relatives. But Iguanodontia is this very broad group, and it ends up including all of hadrosaurids as well because it's not paraphyletic, it's monophyletic. Mm. So since it includes these very early ornithopods on that little branch that means it includes all of the later stuff which are hadrosaurids too so to get around the fact that it includes all those hadrosaurids in this Nepisaurus paper they call the group of iguanodontians without hadrosaurids the basal iguanodontians which is what everybody thinks of when you say iguanodontians because they're the ones that include iguanodon mm-hmm. for context Neposaurus being in the albion puts it on the later end of the famous basal iguanodontians so iguanodon i think is the most famous one probably that one's from the Barremian, which is the age right before the albion which means the iguanodon was probably a few million years older mm-hmm. and iguanodon was probably extinct by the time nepaisaurus evolved mantelosaurus the one that's famous from being in the entryway of the Natural History Museum in London, is also from the Baramian, although possibly also early Aptian. So it's possible that if Mantellosaurus was in the very earliest Aptian, and so was Nepaisaurus, that they might have maybe seen each other. Although since Mantellosaurus is way over in Western Europe, and Napiosaurus is in southern China. Yeah, they probably didn't see each other. Yeah, they're thousands of miles apart. They would have had to cross all of Europe and Asia and either gone over or around the Ural Mountains, which divide Asia and Europe. And I found out when researching this that the Urals were fully formed by the early Triassic just before dinosaurs evolved. Wow. Yeah, they're one of the older mountain ranges. So that means dinosaurs might have been separated between Asia and Europe a little bit by these mountains.
3: What a fun side fact.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tenontosaurus, however, probably did live at the same time as Naposaurus. Tenontosaurus is one of those Iguanodontians by their new definition. And just like Naposaurus, it was in the Aptian Albion time frame. But every Tenantosaurus that we found is from North America. So again, they would have had a tough time meeting up with each other.
3: Just a little ways <laughs> away.
0: Yeah. The closest dinosaur I could find in the time and place as Neposaurus is Manturosaurus Laosensis. Can you guess where that one's from? China? It's from Laos. That's why oh. it's Laosensis.
3: <laughs> oh. I don't know what I was thinking. Well, it was
0: but named after Manchuria. That's probably what you're that thinking.
3: Was, I was going more with the genus name.
0: Yeah. That was another place name. Saurus, place named Insus. So maybe they encountered one another. Nepysaurus was found in 2020. So this got published pretty quickly after being discovered. And it includes just two bones. They're both from the hips. There's the right ilium, which is the top bone of the hips with that wide top sort of crest thing, just like on our hips we have the iliac crest it's the same the top part that pokes out if you or you can feel usually if you press on your side mm-hmm. in this case it's about 48 and a half centimeters or 19 inches long so a little bit bigger than our <laughs> iliac crest <laughs> and then the right ischium which is the bone that points down and back in both Soriscans and ornithischians and this one is about 56 centimeters or 22 inches long
3: decent size
0: Yeah, they didn't give a size estimate, or at least I don't think they did. I couldn't find it in my translated version. But I would describe it as probably small to medium-sized. Of course, we don't know how old it was either because they didn't do histology, and it probably wouldn't be all that useful on a hip bone anyway. So maybe it was juvenile and it got bigger. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say.
3: Need more fossils.
0: Yeah. The two fossils that they did find were about two meters or six feet apart. And the authors assigned both of them to the holotype since they were, as they put it, pretty close in location. They were proportional in size, and they're both from the right side of the animal. It's like the right side of the animal is a funny thing to be like, well, they're both from the right side, so they're probably from the same animal. Like, not all animals have right sides. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's not nothing, though.
0: It's not nothing. It's just not much either. The bones apparently have typical characteristics of an iguanodontian acetabulum, which is the socket where the femur attaches, and specifically the acetabular protrusion is one of its unique features. Mm. It's a lot of jargon, and it was also translated because I don't know how to write acetabulum in Chinese, so I had to rely on Google Translate for this part, so I'm not even confident in relaying any of the information because who knows Mm -hmm. if it got translated properly. But interestingly, there's reportedly an unpublished ilium and ischium from Sirintorna, another Aptian iguanodontian. This one was named from northeastern Thailand in 2015 from a jaw. But again, they have an ilium and ischium; they just haven't published it. So people are saying they need to compare those to see if Neposaurus is a junior synonym of Sirintorna. Because if they are the same, then Neposaurus will become a junior synonym of Sirintorna, and people basically won't use the name Napisaurus anymore, because Sirintorna would have dibs, (laughs) since it got there seven (laughs) years earlier. But it's still cool, because it's a new Iguanodontian from an area where we didn't have any Iguanodontians before.
3: True. And I just want to say, we've only got one more dinosaur to cover from 2022, so we are almost all caught up, (laughs) speaking of things that are published at the end of the year. To be fair, this last one was published on December 31st, <laughs> so it would have been really difficult for us to get that out.
0: Yes, that would have been basically <laughs> impossible. Yeah,
3: and it was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we'll publish it in February of the next year instead.
3: <laughs> not bad, not bad. Yeah, Only close. one month later.
0: Yeah, it's so way before it'll be in any dinosaur books, at least.
3: Yeah, probably. We've got a couple of quick news items, starting with, another story of somebody who stumbled onto some dinosaur bones Who? i would love for that to happen to me someday you're not
0: gonna notice though
3: that's the thing i would have to know that i'm looking at a bone or yeah
0: we were standing right next to a bone and they were like do you see the bone that's right next to your foot (laughs) and you were like no is it that no is it that? No.
3: <laughs> I just need a little more practice.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Not, I mean, That bone was just like a tiny fragment, and it was basically only the color was the way you identify it. Yeah. If you saw something that had teeth or something, I'm sure you'd notice.
3: Depends how big it is. Yeah. And yeah, it would still need to be pretty conspicuous. <laughs>
0: or if you literally tripped on it. We hear about a lot of people literally tripping on bones, mm. sticking out of rock, and then they notice it.
3: So I'm not sure the exact story for this one, but it was someone who was hiking found sauropod bones in the Royal Gorge region of Colorado in the U.S. Hmm. Yeah, and they contacted the Bureau of Land Management. They found the fossil last year. And the Denver Museum of Nature and Science and BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, excavated it. And they found a tibia and fibula from a sauropod, so the leg bones. Each one's about three feet or one meter long.
0: That would be hard to miss.
3: Yeah. Well, it depends how much is sticking out.
0: That's true. Yeah.
3: (laughs) There's a lot of factors going into this. They're going to prepare the bones and then eventually they'll identify them. And people going to that museum can watch the fossils being prepared. Nice. I've also got an update. This is good news for, We know, we talk a lot about dinosaur skeletons going to auction. And here's another one that is ending up in a museum. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's Big John, the Triceratops, is going to the Glazer Children's Museum in Tampa, Florida. Huh. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So Big John, just as a refresher, is about 26 feet long. It's the largest, maybe, Triceratops skeleton found so far. It's about 60% complete. There's 75% of the skull. It sold at auction in 2021 for $7.7 million. Oof. Yes. And at the time, the buyer wasn't named. The Glazer... Children's Museum, though, said that the donor is from the Pajidi Padi family, who are based in Tampa, and Big John is going to be on display at that museum starting this Memorial Day weekend in May. It's going to be on loan for three years, and maybe, hopefully, longer. And part of the exhibit's going to have these tunnels with clear domes so kids can, I guess, pop up and see Big John from underneath. That's a pretty cool idea.
0: I think you were just talking about that with another dinosaur fossil too. Yeah. Those domes, like the meerkat exhibits is what I always think of. The,
3: yeah, I always think of meerkats too.
0: <laughs> We've been to several zoos that have, you could pop up like a meerkat next to meerkats. I actually have a picture of you looking at a meerkat from like two feet away. Oh yeah. From one of those domes. It's fun. <laughs>
3: It's probably fun to pop up in dinosaur bones, too.
0: Yeah. That's pretty good, though. 75% of the skull and 60% of the body overall. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times with triceratops, they just find the skull. Because I think a lot of times the rest of it gets eaten, mm. and the skull is not so easy to eat for most dinosaurs. Maybe t could take a chunk out of it. Maybe. Most things could.
3: They often seem fairly intact.
0: Yeah. I didn't realize that there were any dinosaurs in Tampa. Maybe this is the first one in that museum. I'm not sure. I'll check. All right. Now I'm going to get into the dinosaur connection challenge of farming. All right. And thanks to Robert for suggesting this one. So both Sabrina, you and I had the exact same thought. The
3: good dinosaur.
0: Yes. (laughs) It's got that scene in the beginning where the asteroid misses Earth and then the sauropods eventually develop agriculture. And as a quick aside, there's no reason that dinosaurs would have gotten any smarter if they didn't go extinct. They were already smart enough to dominate their ecosystems.
3: Ah, so like good enough, no need to keep going kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, they. we don't think sauropods were particularly social. You know, they ate leaves off trees. Mm. They weren't hunting. They lived for let's see, even if you're just talking about big sauropods or sauropodomorphs Mm -hmm. from the period of 200 million years ago to 66 million years ago. So why would like another 40 million years make a difference? They were Mm. already like 140 million years, basically around the same amount of intelligence.
3: (laughs) That's a good point, but it is fun to think about.
0: It is. Yeah. Who knows? I guess you never know what happens with evolution. Something could have happened.
3: Yeah. Like humans.
0: True. So the good dinosaur shows a few specific farming practices that I think it'd be fun to talk about whether or not sorepods could pull it off if they did get smart enough, mm-hmm. which, again, they probably wouldn't have. But <laughs> the first one is knocking down trees. Oh, that reminds
3: me also of the TV show Dinosaurs because Earl knocks down trees is a job. Yeah. But that's not exactly farming.
0: It isn't, but the way Earl does it in Dinosaurs, the TV show, mm-hmm. is a lot more realistic than The Good Dinosaur. Because in The Good Dinosaur, the dad uses his tail literally to slice through a tree. Oh,
3: yeah. And we just had that study come out that said, yes, of kids could have very fast tail movement, but it wouldn't break the sound barrier or anything.
0: Yeah, because it would damage the tail, I think, was part of that yeah. idea. And so obviously bashing it through a huge tree isn't a good idea. That's not right. really going to work. What? It's not sharp enough anyway. And even if it was. It Why would injure
3: hurt. your tail? Yeah. For no
0: reason. So that's definitely not going to be the way they'd knock it down. But they could knock it down, like you were saying, with their legs, basically. And I also, in researching this, I've heard when there are wildfires that people use bulldozers to knock down trees. Hmm. I often see in California, you know, we have lots of wildfires and they'll talk about there are this many crews, there's this many firefighters and they have this many bulldozers there. So I decided to look up, what does it look like when a bulldozer knocks down a tree just for for research, you know, sure. and a small bulldozer can push over some pretty big trees. It's actually really impressive. Like a little bulldozer, almost the size that you can rent Mm -hmm. for doing like a little bit of simple excavation work in a yard or something can knock over a tree that's like 40 feet tall and probably has a diameter of like two feet. They can really knock down some trees. So it's really common practice to use these bulldozers for knocking down trees. And Basically, what I got from watching these YouTube videos is that the key seems to be pushing as high as possible on the trunk so you get good leverage. So they always raise the bucket up really high. Sometimes they sort of dig a little bit of a pit so they can get an angle on it, so they can get up a little bit higher. (laughs) And since sauropods are very tall and they have a lot of weight up very high, they could easily knock down trees just by leaning on them. No question, they could just lean on them let alone if they went like you were saying in dinosaur style pushing Mm -hmm. with their feet or you know getting even more leverage on it they could definitely do it i also found a video of an elephant pushing over a pretty large tree to get leaves at the top so basically (laughs) it's a crazy video because it's just in like a safari park there's this elephant it goes up it walks up to a tree Mm -hmm. face first it puts the tree on its trunk, essentially, in between its horns, and it just starts rocking the tree back and forth. Oh, wow. And getting sort of a little bit of momentum going back and forth, back and forth. And then it just knocks the whole thing over. And that one too is like maybe a foot in diameter trunk.
3: The whole tree?
0: Yeah. So the roots pop up, you know, basically between its legs. Wow. Yeah, it's really impressive. So as an aside, this might be a reason sauropods so wouldn't need to have high necks to reach the top of trees. Right, if
3: they could knock a tree over.
0: Exactly, yeah. So if they wanted to eat the leaves at the top of the tree, just like this elephant, just knock that thing over, eat all the leaves off of it, and then move on.
3: Or Land Before Time style, where all those baby dinosaurs piled on top of each. Oh, no, wait, Sarah. Sarah (laughs) ran and rammed her head into the tree, and then some leaves fell out.
0: Yeah, because that tree had very loosely attached leaves, apparently. (laughs) That's true. (laughs)
3: Get it at the right time of year.
0: Yeah. So the other thing they did was uh, moving trees. So he picked up a tree with his mouth and threw it. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Their mouths weren't big enough to bite anything like that. But they could have easily pushed trees around with their feet. So I think it's feasible that they could have cleared land mm-hmm. by knocking them over, by pressing on them, and then pushing trees trees with their feet.
3: The uh, picking it up with a mouth and throwing it, that reminds me of Gertie.
0: It did, yeah. When I was watching that, I was like, "This." I wonder if this is an homage to Gertie. Lot, it's so similar.
3: Lots of pop culture references are coming to mind with this topic for me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Gertie also consumed an entire tree, mm-hmm. <laughs> trunk and all. Roots and all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the the craziest thing and the part that I remember most vividly from The Good Dinosaurs though is the plowing. Mm-hmm. And that's how the dad shoves his face, nostrils first, into the dirt Ooh. and then just walks forward plowing. Right. Which is obviously a horrible idea. I don't know of any vertebrate that plows with their face. It's hard to breathe. Yeah, it is. There are probably some invertebrates that might do something like that. I'm thinking of things that burrow into things. They might basically use their face. Mm-hmm. But it's a very good way to get dirt in your eyes, your nostrils, and or your mouth. hmm all the vertebrates I know of that dig just have big claws and sauropods are one of those animals they had big claws on their back feet presumably for digging nests so they could easily just drag their hind foot while they were walking and that would be an easy way to plow I think they could do it if they wanted to just now with their face and then the last really weird thing that they did was they watered like a sprinkler (laughs) (laughs) they like gulped up a bunch of water and then sprayed it out over the field. I have no idea if this is feasible. I think it might be because they obviously had a lot of volume that they could have in their body. Mm -hmm. But I have no idea. We don't know what their GI tract was like.
3: Right. How well could they spit?
0: Yeah. How well they could spit, what kind of force they could get going. We also don't know if they could regurgitate at all because not all animals can regurgitate. Not even all birds can regurgitate. Right. Although crocodiles and alligators can. So there's a decent chance that. Dinosaurs could.
3: Well, some dinosaurs could.
0: Yeah, probably. We've, well,
3: there's there's pellets that have been found.
0: Yeah, but those are from like much more bird-like dinosaurs than sauropods. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I was also thinking maybe they could do some kind of flood irrigation by redirecting a stream just because they have massive bodies and huge feet <laughs> that would be useful for.
3: <laughs> well, if anything, because sauropods have shaped landscapes with their migration paths, mm-hmm. so they could, in theory, do the same thing. Yeah carve out, like you were saying, an irrigation system just by walking a path enough times.
0: Yep. Yeah. So it's possible. But I don't think that sauropods would bother with agriculture the way we do it because in the good dinosaur, for example, they're growing corn. I don't think they'd care about corn. Mm -hmm. If anything, I think their agriculture would be akin to what we call forest management. So they could go to a forest, knock down a whole bunch of trees to get at their tasty leaves, then move on to another area while the first part of the forest recovers Mm. and sort of do a semi-crop rotation slash forest management style where they're just knocking down trees in one area, then going to a new area and so on. Who knows? Maybe that actually happened. It's a possible semi-version of dinosaur agriculture that might have even happened.
3: The sauropods in particular, they had to eat a lot of food. Yeah. So it would make sense if they figured out a way to make sure they didn't run out of food.
0: Yeah, and we think they probably ate leaves because angiosperms didn't exist and neither did grass Mm -hmm. in the early days unless they could survive purely on the low-growing plants. But yeah, and a lot of them we don't think could raise their necks that high, so knocking down trees would make sense. If there is something that would grow crops, my guess is it would have had to be a smaller herbivore, something that couldn't knock down trees and maybe couldn't digest all the leaves.
3: Maybe a baror.
0: Yeah, that's true, because they would have the claws and stuff. Mm-hmm. There was a study showing that horsetails were the most nutritious of the plants available to herbivorous dinosaurs. So if any dinosaur could go for it, maybe something like a ceratopsian or a hadrosaur might Go after it because they could either encourage horsetails to grow in a marsh or maybe try some flood irrigation to grow horsetails like we grow rice. Mm. <laughs> I'm imagining huge swaths of horsetail patties with hadrosaurs <laughs> chowing down on them.
3: <laughs> it's a fun image.
0: <laughs> yeah. With either the horsetail patties or forest management, though, they are self fertilizing if the dinosaurs are pooping where they eat, too. Mm-hmm. So that has that going for it. But then. Farming, because that was the topic, mm-hmm. can also include raising livestock. So you got to go down that path of what would dinosaurs raise as livestock. Probably not mammals, since we were so small back then, and also good at digging, which makes mammals hard to contain. Sure. <laughs> they're just going to burrow out every time you try to contain them somewhere. Probably not fish, unless we're talking about spinosaurids. I guess they could have a, a fish farm.
3: Yeah, when they like somehow get a pond going Mm -hmm.
0: yep but that pretty much leaves other dinosaurs as the main sources of farming Mm. availability i think ceratopsians and chylosaurs therizinosaurus and probably even pachycephalosaurs are out because of their weaponry you don't want to get stabbed by a horn or bashed by a tail club or slashed by big claws yeah or head butted by an angry pachycephalosaur So the obvious choice, of course, is hadrosaurs.
3: The cows of the Cretaceous. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, if they're (laughs) literally the livestock.
0: I often think of them more as the horses of the Cretaceous, just because they're so fast. Ah. And just like horses, you'd probably want to pin them in. I guess that's the same with cows. You might need to pin them in Mm -hmm. so they couldn't run away and escape. And this also applies if we're talking about which animal would be useful for humans to raise as livestock. I think hadrosaurs are the obvious choice. Like, if all dinosaurs were around today, which ones would be the most useful for farming? Mm -hmm. Probably hadrosaurs. Building a pen to keep in a hadrosaur, though, would be incredibly difficult. For humans, I think it would be like trying to contain an angry bull. We'd need some sturdy steel, concrete, or maybe if we're lucky, barbed wire would easily dissuade them. But for carnivorous dinosaurs, I think they would have a very hard time penning in hadrosaurs.
3: Yeah, no opposable thumbs.
0: Yeah. And even if they did have good hands for grasping, they don't have the things, you you know, like fence posts or any sort of stuff that you might use to build a fence. They'd probably just have to rely on pushing rocks together or maybe dig a trench with their feet to make a barrier. And then they'd be limited to herbivores that couldn't climb as well as them or were much shorter. So they'd be stuck with maybe little tiny hadrosaurs or ornithopods, maybe like heterodontosaurs or something. I don't know. It seems difficult. Although as I was talking about this, I realized humans do use dinosaurs in agriculture. Birds. In farming in a huge way. Yes. With chickens. And in fact, there was this recent, I think it was like a thought experiment saying that in the future, if anybody was looking through the stratigraphic layers with people, Mm -hmm. they would be amazed by all the chicken bones.
3: They might think that chickens ruled the world.
0: (laughs) Or they would just be like, why are there so many chicken bones? Yeah. Because there are, we eat an insane number of chickens and in huge quantities. So they are a major important part of our farming. So I guess that's another connection to dinosaurs. So there we go. I think that's enough about dinosaurs and farming, but it was a fun discussion and thanks for suggesting it. Mm -hmm. And in just a moment, we'll get into our dinosaur of the day, Camarillasaurus, But first, we're going to pause for one more sponsor break. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis. Go green with solar panels or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC DBA Figure. Equal Opportunity Lender. NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.
3: And now, on to our dinosaur of the day, Camarillosaurus, which was a request by Camatorus via our Patreon and Discord, so thanks. It was a spinosaurid that lived in the early Cretaceous in what is now Teruel Province in Spain in the Camarillas formation. It's hard to say how this dinosaur looked since only a few fossils have been found, but as a spinosaur, it would have had a long snout and a long tail and probably walked on two legs. At least that's the way it's depicted in paleoart. The type species is Camariosaurus cirugheidae, and the genus name means Camarilla's lizard. The species name is in honor of the person who found the fossils, Pedro Cirugheidae Bu. It was described in 2014 by Barbara Sanchez Hernandez and Michael Benton. The fossils found include a tooth, isolated vertebrae, ribs, and parts of the limb. They were disarticulated, but they were found close together. Also found was a possible neck vertebra that was later found to be too small to be part of the same Cameriosaurus specimen, or even belong, quote, to the same taxon as Cameriosaurus, end quote. That's according to Aidan Samathi and others in 2021. Originally, Cameriosaurus was thought to be a ceratosaur, But then as of 2021, it was thought to be a Spinosaur. When it was thought to be a Ceratosaur, Camarillosaurus, it was significant because it helped fill in the gap. Because Ceratosaurs are known from the Middle and Late Jurassic, and then the Late Cretaceous, and Camarillosaurus lived in the Early Cretaceous. But then Oliver Raout and others suggested Camarillosaurus was a Spinosaur. In 2019, they suggested it based on its tail vertebrae and after comparing it to new fossils found where Camoriasaurus was found. In 2021, Samathi and others tentatively agreed. They found Camoriasaurus to be a megalosauroid and possibly a spinosaur, and they also found similarities between Camoriasaurus and spinosaur fossils found in Thailand.
0: I was surprised when you said it was a spinosaur, but now I'm understanding why, because it's just very recently reclassified as a spinosaur.
3: Yeah, but like a lot of these things, we do still need more fossils to so know for sure. As an example for how they figured out the spinosaur fossils were spinosaur ones found in Thailand, they found tail vertebrae in Thailand that looked similar to baryonyx based on grooves and depressions in the bones. Simathi and others found the evidence for camarasaurus being a ceratosaur to be, quote, dubious and limited, end quote, and that the original paper describing Camarillosaurus didn't cite features unique to Ceratosaurus and that many of the features described are seen in tetanurin theropods and some were misinterpreted or misidentified. As a spinosaur, Camarillosaurus is one of four spinosaurs known from the Iberian Peninsula in Spain and Portugal. So it's Camarillosaurus, Baryonyx, Vibona venetrix, and Iberospinus. Other dinosaurs that lived around the same time and place as Camarosaurus included sauropods, dromaeosaurs, and ornithischians. And other animals that were around included turtles, snakes, fish, mammals, and crocodilians.
0: And our fun fact of the day is that the first sauropod ever put on display was a potosaurus or maybe brontosaurus.
3: Excellent choice.
0: Yeah, I did this one just for you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> the mount took six years. Wow. Too complete it was mounted in 1905 you can see why it would take so long that it was that long ago and it was also the first one mm-hmm. so you gotta be careful with it it barely beat dippy to the punch am unveiled their brontosaurus now labeled apotosaurus on february 16th 1905 dippy was unveiled in london on the 12th of may in 1905 <laughs> that is close there's only three months It didn't go on display. Dippy didn't go on display in the Carnegie Museum until the museum was completed in 1907. I
3: was just about to ask about that. That's surprising.
0: Yeah. So the original, which is in the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh, didn't go on display until two years after the replica in London, which is kind of funny. Mm -hmm. So they saw the original bones, ordered a replica of it, but they already had the space available. So they got it out first. So in that way, the dippy in England is more of an original one. Yeah, true. That's kind of cool. The first sauropod ever put on display is called AMNH 460, and it's on display at the American Museum of Natural History. To this day, it's the one you see when you go in there, right yeah. near T-Rex. We've seen it. Yep. Many times. It's not the holotype for a or brontosaurus. Despite it being the first one put on display, it was not the first one found by a long shot. And it has been labeled both Apotosaurus or Brontosaurus over the years, it's unclear still to this day which genus it belongs to, Hmm. which might be why they didn't update it back to Brontosaurus after Brontosaurus got brought back. Mm -hmm. And that's because AMNH 460 doesn't have a very complete skeleton. They had to fill in the rest of the skeleton with bones from other specimens and replica bones. Just like Dippy. Yeah, it's very similar. And the Apotosaurus- in air quotes, whatever you want to call it, that's currently on display is actually made up of at least four different individuals. It's possible that they're not even all from the same genus. Hmm. All of the specimens came from the same area, Como Bluff, Wyoming, and that area includes a lot of quarries and quite a few well-known sauropods, including Diplodocus, Brontosaurus, Camarasaurus, Barosaurus, and Apotosaurus. Which is why in those early days... When they got they, mixed up. Yeah, because they found the Camarasaurus skull, but they only had that Potosaurus body. And then they're like, okay, what do we put on this Potosaurus body and put a Camarasaurus skull on it? Obviously, that's a very famous issue that went on for a while. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to study the specimen at the... American Museum of Natural History because it's mounted for public display and has been for a very long time. I think they took it down briefly around 1990 and then updated the mount and put a more Apatosaurus-like skull on it rather than the Camarasaurus skull that had been on it for a long time and got the tail up off the ground and all that stuff. But I don't think they did any replica bones of it at that point, at least not that I could find. So it's tricky. And the bones that they do have that are mounted are pretty much all partially covered in plaster to like restore them and make them look nicer for the public. So it's very difficult to know what the bones actually look like. Mm-hmm. We really got to take them down, put them into a CT scanner so you can tell which part is plaster and which part is real bone like they did with Megalosaurus.
3: Anyone from AMNH listening?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's possible that it should be considered Brontosaurus or maybe apodosaurus or maybe some of it is a podosaurus and some of it's brontosaurus. It's hard to know. The sauropod was not only the first sauropod put on display anywhere in the world, it was also the first dinosaur on display at AMH. According to the Gotham Center, many curators were afraid of being compared to showmen like P.T. Barnum by putting up dinosaurs as spectacles. So a lot of museums really shied away from any sort of dinosaur mounts after that Hadrosaurus and a couple other Hadrosaurs.
3: That's too bad.
0: I do also find it hilarious since Barnum Brown was named after P.T. Barnum and ended up finding multiple Tyrannosaurus specimens, including both of the individuals that were mounted at am and h mm-hmm. So it's really like you couldn't come any more full circle from not wanting to be like Barnum and putting on big spectacles to a guy named after P.T. Barnum finding T-Rex and <laughs> making yep. like the biggest dinosaur spectacles ever. It's just hilarious to me. But I think we're way better off with dinosaurs as popular spectacles, and now the whole world can enjoy them, and they're not just back in collection rooms gathering dust. So, yeah, we finally settled in the right place after a while. Good. (laughs) Not just saying that as a dinosaur podcaster, of course.
3: (laughs) No, no, we're not biased at all. (laughs) And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thank you for listening. If you want to dive deeper into any of the stories that we covered, then head over to inodino.com, the show notes, for all the links. And stay tuned for next week's episode, where we'll have an interview with Lindsay Kinsella, author of The Lazarus Taxa. Thanks again, and until next time.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on Autotrader.